welcome everybody to all of our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you watching online. We're always glad if you can join us online, wherever you might be. Um, but it's great to have everybody here at all of our campuses as well, all six on a beautiful uh, day today. And we are, we are in the final message of a series called Four Questions Every Kid Needs Answered. And even if you don't have kids, I'm so glad you're here and dialing in because all of us should care about and help out in raising each other's kids and grandkids. I think today... Raising children is very, very difficult. It's never been more difficult, I believe. So parents and grandparents, we need all the help we can get. I think the risk of kids falling through the cracks and not being prepared for real life are greater today than ever before, which is why today's question is this, how can I win the big battles? I think there's three major battles that every child will face, and we as parents absolutely must help them win this particular battle. And I've, I've told this particular story before, but when I was 14, our family of seven was invited down to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina by some friends who had rented a beautiful uh, beach house near Harbortown Golf Course. It was something our particular family could never afford, so it was like a dream to drive down to this beautiful resort area. And we showed up, the Merritts did, with our cutoffs and t-shirts, kind of a ragtag family. We didn't know any better, but just down the beach was this beautiful manicured golf course. The seventh green was right up against the ocean, and so we wandered over to it, and my dad said, kids, look at all those balls stuck in the palm trees. We'd never seen that before. He said, I'll bet if we dragged a ladder over here, we could knock some of those balls down because you know, kids, it's a sin to ever buy a golf ball, is what he said. So we dragged a ladder along the beach, snuck onto the golf course, walked up to this palm tree. Dad handed me a long pole and said, here, Bob, you go up while I hold the ladder steady. So I dutifully climbed the ladder uh, to the next to the, last, next to the last step, and I reached up, but the balls were still too high for me to reach, and I said, Dad, you sure you got the ladder down there? He said, yep, go ahead. So I stepped onto the very top step of this ladder where it says, never step on top of the, you know, right there. I was right there, and as reaching as high as I could, and that ladder went shooting out from under me as fast as anything I've ever seen. I came down sideways, landed on the ladder, snapped it in two, laid there in pain, thought I'd broken my ribs. My dad leaned over and said, are you okay? I said, I don't think so. His exact words were, well, that would have killed me. No kidding. <laughs> then he said, I'm trying to catch my breath, then he said, now, now that our ladder's broken, maybe we could wade through the lagoons over there. I'll bet they're loaded with balls. I'm laying on the ground. I said, Dad, aren't there alligators in there? He said, ah, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. <laughs> nice upbringing. And I believed him. So then I go into the lagoons. Now, friends, I could have been safely back at the house playing video games or reading comic books, but instead I was wading through this deep, dark, murky water feeling for balls and snakes and alligators, and maybe it was a little risky. But what an adventure. And what a bonanza full of balls. I just had a ball just tossing balls out of this place. And that's kind of how I was raised. Just dive in and go for it. Two years before that, I was just 12 years old. First time I was deer hunting, and my dad gave me almost no instructions. Led me through the dark woods in the Allegheny Mountains. Led me to a pine tree. Sat me down there at 5.30 in the morning, pitch black. And then he left me there for five hours. First time hunting. He disappeared into the, into the darkness while I sat there holding a rifle, nearly froze to death. 
I missed a deer that morning, but I learned something about being ready and steady, and I didn't realize it at the time. But something was forming inside me that would help me later on win the big battles of life. Down the road a ways when I was 16, I needed a summer job, and so my dad spent just one afternoon showing me how to paint houses. The very next day, I was all on my own. I made all kinds of messes and mistakes, but I painted houses for the next four summers so I could eventually buy a car and go to college. A couple years later, I was 18. My mom and dad drove me 1,000 miles from our home in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to St. Paul to enroll in college. The very next day, just after I had enrolled in, in college into the dormitory, the very next day, my dad drove me over to the Columbia Transit Bus Company and said, my son wants to drive bus. And I'm like, I do? <laughs> but there I was. Two days after that, I was driving school bus, a 14-ton vehicle, just got trained, and I drove bus for six more years, working my way through college and through seminary. And again, I didn't realize it, but all those experiences helped me develop certain skills and confidence that would prepare me for life. And this leads me to the first battle that I think every child will face and must overcome. That is the battle over entitlement and dependence. Friends, this is so, so important for our kids. We must help them win this battle over entitlement and dependence. I think some kids today, not all kids, and certainly not any kid who is here today, but I think some kids, I think some kids are ill-prepared for the real world because they've become entitled and dependent on their parents to give them everything. They have very few skills, some kids, because they've never had to work. They lack confidence because they haven't really achieved anything of merit. They're not ready for life because they haven't been challenged adequately by the adults in their world. I think many kids today expect things to be given to them because that's all they've ever known. Honestly, when I grew up, what I expected was that I would get a job, go to college, and be out of the house by age 21. And those expectations were very real to me. And they helped me grow up. I think some parents expect way too little of their kids today, and instead of forming life skills, they let their kids kind of atrophy in this virtual world of YouTube clips and Facebook postings, none of which prepares them for real life. So I want to show you a couple of verses today. This one's from 1 Thessalonians. It's a great verse. It says, look, make it your ambition. Parents, make this your ambition in life, your goal, one of your goals to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands so that you won't be dependent on anybody. You know, when, when a child is born, at birth, they are 100% dependent on their parents for everything. Dependence factor is really, really high when you're just a little baby. But every year, a parent's goal ought to be to get the dependence factor to go down and the responsibility factor to go up in your child's life. Make it your ambition, parents, to help your kids work with their hands so they won't be dependent on anybody. Years ago, author, speaker John Ortberg gave a humorous example of this. He said, when my daughters were small, I took them to see the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and I realized this was a terrible model for my girls to watch. 
He said, here's a woman hiding from her stepmother because she feels helpless and afraid. So she takes a job doing menial labor for seven cranky short guys because she's afraid she could never find more fulfilling work. And she sits around passively waiting to get rescued by somebody and singing, someday my prince will come. I wanted to tell my daughters, don't ever do that. If you're ever in that situation, you confront your stepmother face to face. Tell her to come to grips with the aging process. And that you're not going to put up with her neurotic insecurities about her fading attractiveness. Tell her to go see a good therapist. And tell the seven cranky short guys to get a life. If they can't handle basic challenges of hygiene and housekeeping, they'll have to find some other codependent person to enable them. And stop waiting for some prince to come and rescue you. Build deep relationships. Find meaningful work. Serve the poor. And when it's time to choose a prince, let daddy decide who the prince is going to be. And things will be just fine. Yeah, you might want to clap for that or not. I don't know. But here's the deal, friends. When independence doesn't get developed in a human being, when independence doesn't get developed in a human being, that person becomes weak and ill-prepared for life. And you can't wait until a kid hits 18 to start teaching this lesson. For example, a child will often say to a parent, I'm bored. You ever hear that, parents? I'm bored. And, you know, the parents are tempted to take that on as his or her own problem. So the mom, perhaps her dad, will start generating ideas. Well, why don't you go out and play? Oh, it's boring. I don't want to do that. Why don't you invite some friends over? That's even more boring. They're boring as all get out. I don't want to have my friends around. And the parent just keeps pitching them ideas about what to do. You know, why don't you read a book, go for a bike ride, bake a cake, fly a kite. I don't care. Just do something. And the, the kid goes, no, 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 no. That's all so boring. What else you got? And the parent just keeps pitching them ideas. And the kid keeps just hitting them out. Friends, what's the child learning there? child is learning that my boredom is your problem, mom and dad, and I'm expecting you to solve it. This child will grow up through life waiting for somebody else to solve their problems. By the way, on the boredom deal, the correct response if a kid comes to you with that is, you know what? Boredom's a real problem, and I'm confident you'll be able to come up with a good solution. Then you walk away. Now, not when they're one. <laughs> not when they're two. They can't even talk at that point, but... When they're 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you walk away because they eventually need to learn this is your life. And if you can't solve the boredom problem for yourself, what problem can you solve? I see parents take responsibility for all their kids' problems, concerns, and financial desires. And then when the kid turns 22 and you say to them, you know, maybe it's time for you to move out and pay for your own gas. You know what happens? That kid gets mad at you, and they resent you because they've been entitled and dependent. Shocking statistic I read this week today, one-third of all males, one-third of all males between 22 and 34 still live at home with their parents. Experts call this a failure to launch. <laughs> no kidding. Now, to be fair, because I know a lot of you are in this situation. To be fair, 
You know, some kids are trying to pay off school loans and just need a little support. I get that. That's totally fair. Some kids are in a transition of some sort, and so they just need a little help to get through. But this should not be a long-term plan at all. How does a kid build a future when he's 27, still living at home, and has no plans to move out? I mean, play that forward at age 29, 30, and 31. Friends, that is not good for anybody, especially the kid who faces diminishing opportunities to achieve and connect with other people. By the way, if, if you're a parent and you're in this situation and it's, it's just frustrating to you, I have a, a four-step piece of advice for you, and it's, it's not rocket science, but I hope you get this. Number one, get some professional advice. I'm serious about this. There are people who can help you Form a game plan. Number two, read Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. Fantastic book. Every family in our church ought to read it. I wish I'd written it. I didn't. He did. It's in our bookstores. Fantastic. Formulate a plan and a timetable for your adult child to move out. Son, I love you. But six months from this day, we're going to write it down. We're going to agree. You're out of here. I, you know, get a job, go to school. I, 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 you know, we love you, but... For your own good. This is the timetable. We're going to stick to it. And finally, prepare for World War III because there's going to be some conflict around this deal, guaranteed. But give your 26-year-old kid the ladder and tell him it's time to go find his own golf balls. For everybody's sake. Okay. Second battle that your child must win is the battle over sexual purity and underage drinking. I know there's two things there, but just stay with me on this. So critical. So critical. With regard to sexual purity, the Bible has all kinds of great things to say about sexual purity and sexual oneness and joy. For, for example, this verse, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, talking about marriage, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Never knew that was in the Bible, did you? You ought to read your Bibles. There's some great stuff in there. Might be your life verse. I don't know. Let's just look at that verse again. It's a great verse. No, let's not do that. Very uncomfortable right now. Talking about the wonderful experience of sexuality within a loving marriage. So there's all kinds of great verses in there about human sexuality. But there's also verses of severe warning. Run. Run from sexual sin. Sexual sin is any kind of sex outside of marriage. The Bible says, avoid it. Run. I know it's tempting. Run. Married or not, pre-married, run from it. No other sin so clearly affects a person as this sin does. So in the Bible, you have statements of wonderful joy regarding sexuality, and then you have serious, serious warnings. I was talking to campus pastor Don Graffman about the battles kids face today, and he immediately said, Bob, it's the battle of the screen, meaning mobile devices. These kids can't, can't get our kids to put them down. And he said, every kid has pornography in his pocket on a mobile, mobile device. Hardcore porn, Don said. It's the new heroin. He said, even if my son is not looking at it, the kid next to him probably is and has an influence on my son. Huge issue today. 
We don't have time to get into that, how to monitor mobile devices these days. That's another topic. But here's what I want for my kids. I want my kids to get through their teens and 20s with their sexual purity intact for their good. I don't want my daughter caving into some 16-year-old kid who pressures her into a sexual encounter that's going to scar her soul, produce incredible shame and confusing patterns of intimacy that she'll have to battle the rest of her life. I don't want my son facing his wedding day with a history of sexual misconduct that violates the trust of his wife, damages their spiritual oneness, and just dishonors God. Parents here today, my goal as a parent is to have my kids understand that their sexuality is a gift from God. That it's the most private and personal part of who they are and is to be protected and celebrated with the one person who, God's bring in, who God brings into their life for marriage. And they have to understand why this is so important to their life. And here it is. We told our kids this all the time. That when you come together sexually with another person, the Bible says that you become one with that person, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. The sexual union, friends, is so sacred, so powerful, that when a man and woman come together sexually, they are uniting their souls into a single entity. That's why it's for marriage only and why God warns against misconduct. So when people violate that, by moving from partner to partner, there's a, there is a tearing of the soul over and over that eventually leads to all kinds of soul damage in the form of guilt, shame, regret, and loss of sexual intimacy. I, we told our kids numerous times, the greatest gifts you can bring to your future spouse is your faith in Jesus Christ and your sexual purity. We wanted them to win that battle, and by God's grace, they did. And they and their spouses would tell you today, they are so thankful that they waited and protected that part of their life. And parents, the fundamental need here is you got to talk to your kids about sex today. You do. I know it's uncomfortable, especially for dads. You don't know what to say. I, I, I get it. But you got to bring it up. you got to talk about it and look for opportunities when you can talk about it as naturally as possible. Maybe a TV program will come up and you'll say, what do we think about that? What are our values around that? Maybe it's a, a commercial or some, some music lyrics. But you got to figure out how to bring this topic up. It's not just a one-time talk. This is something that has to take place throughout their teens and 20s. couple final things on this. I want my kids to understand that sexuality is God's idea and as that they grow, they're going to experience sexual desire and that it's normal to feel sexual desire. I want them to understand what kind of behavior is appropriate at what age, when dating should start, holding hands and kissing. I want them to know the damaging effects of pornography and why they should avoid it like the plague. I want them to know why abstinence is so important for their well-being and why God intends Sex to be reserved only for marriage. Parents, you got to help your kids win this battle. Now, a quick timeout. If you or they have already failed in this area, and many of us have in a church this size, it is not the unforgivable sin. God has mercy and grace 
and forgiveness for every single human being, for every sin that we've committed. In this area, you're going to need to do some extra work and extra counseling to try to work through those issues of sexual misconduct. But you got to know there's forgiveness and there's second chances for you. Okay? With regard to underage drinking, real quick, you got to warn your kids appropriately. And you got to know your facts. First of all, at about 13 or 14 years of age, your son or daughter will be forced to make a decision about drinking. Because many of their friends are going to start partying at age 13 and 14. When this happened with our kids, it was shocking to us. We couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe our ears that their friends were starting to do this. So they need to make a decision. Research from the Hazelin Foundation reports that kids who start drinking before age 21, catch this, are four times as likely to become an alcoholic as kids who wait until 21 or later or refrain from, from drinking altogether. Four times as likely to become an alcoholic if they start drinking before age 21, damaging their entire future. Friends, you don't want that. you gotta, you got to warn your kids. The research goes on to say that parents who talk about this with their kids clearly communicate their expectations, reduce the risk of underage drinking and long-term damage. Now, again, I know in a crowd this size at six campuses, I know that some of you have kids who are engaging in extremely destructive behavior. They're abusing alcohol. They're abusing your family values. And it's very destructive to your home. And how painful that is as a parent to watch. Here's what I want to say to you, parents. If that's going on, you're the parent. You have the God-given authority and mandate to move in on that. You can't ignore it. You can't minimize it. You can't call it a phase or hope it will magically go away. You as a parent must step into destructive behavior that's going on in your home. you got to do it. Dr. Phil says. Put that situation on project status. And make it your number one issue this spring. You might have to let your yard go for a while in order to have the energy and time to move in on this situation. But you got to deal with this situation. Give it time and energy. Whatever you do, you cannot ignore a child who is destroying the values and the, the love situation in your home. Can't allow it. Okay. Final thing, final battle that you must help your kids win is the battle for faith. Talked about this many times from the stage. But when your child is led into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God puts his Holy Spirit inside your child's soul so that when they are faced with a decision and you're not there, God's Spirit will begin prompting them to make the right decisions about life and protect them just by his Spirit. First of all, I am so grateful for every parent here today who has led your family to church and is leading your family to faith. I'm telling you, the drift in our culture today is so strong against faith in Christ that you've got to do everything you can to counter it. You can't isolate your kids from this drift. What you can do is counter it so they'll be strong enough to withstand this pull against faith. How do you do that? Two ways. Parents here today, you got to make sure that your faith is real. And by virtue of being here today, that's a great sign that it is. 
you got to make sure that your faith is genuine. And then second, you got to make sure there are other godly adults in your child's life so they're hearing the same things from other people that they respect that they're hearing from you. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. It's to the nation. Hear, O Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. These commandments I'm giving you today are to be on your hearts, parents. They're to be on your hearts. In other words, faith in God has to be authentic in us as parents. Our kids are going to follow our lead nine times out of ten. So if we want them to be people of faith who love God and love other people, we have to be people of faith ourselves. These commandments are to be on our hearts. The verse goes on to say, impress them on your kids. Talk about them when? Well, when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down and wake up. In other words, talk about these things all the time, throughout the day, while you're watching TV, after school, during dinner, on the way to practice. It's not just once a week as you're coming or going from church that you should be talking about issues of faith. It should be daily conversations. And why is this so important? Because verse 18 says, so that it will go well for you. Every parent wants life to go well for their kids. And it all starts with making sure they're connected to God through faith in Christ. But friends, the second piece to this is you got to expose them to other godly people who will reinforce the faith that you're trying to pass along. We made sure that our kids were around other godly men and women who reinforced our belief in Christ. For example, I made sure that my son David was around godly coaches at basketball camp who would teach him basketball, but also teach him how to live life. I specifically uh, asked godly men to join us on hunting trips, canoe trips, fishing trips, so that my son would hear and see the same things from them as he was hearing and seeing from me. Same with our daughter. We made sure she was around other godly women who would reinforce the things my wife and I were teaching her about following Christ. Real quick example of this. Joel Hassler is our middle school student leader. And she is a fantastic leader. That's her husband as well. He works for Target. He's just a great, great man of God. And Joel is a wonderful, wonderful leader. She's 34. She loves middle school kids. Loves them. I'm like, man, you know, I like kids, but I'm out. I mean, I'm done with that kind of. And she had 600 of them on a retreat just two weeks ago. She had to do two weekends in a row and wanted to do a third. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Loves kids. And she's a fantastic teacher. And one of the middle school kids caught her on video at the retreat. We'll show it to you real quick. Go ahead, show that up here. Caught her dancing, just having fun with the kids. And she's a far better teacher than dancer, but, but she's not bad. Look at her. Now, here's the thing. If I have a middle school daughter, I want her to be around Joel every minute I could possibly make that happen. I know Joel. She loves Christ. And she, she understands what it's like to be a kid in this world today. Anyway, if you have a, a, a young boy who's in middle school, Joel's a fantastic teacher, can connect with boys, and she has other godly men on her team who jump in. But friends, i got to tell you, 
If you've got a young person, a, a student, a young person in your family, you've got to handpick almost other godly men and women to be around them. Invite them with you on trips. Do whatever you've got to do, but make sure your kids are surrounded by other godly people so that they're going to hear the same things from them and see God in Christ lived out in their life as well so that their life will go well. I'm going to close today with an email that I got from a high school girl. And I want to close our series with this because it can show how God can redeem somebody's life even when their parenting situation wasn't good. She wrote this email to me a couple weeks ago. Dear Pastor Bob, I'm a senior in high school. And I'm writing to tell you that with this series, Four Questions Every Kid Needs Answered, I grew up without many of these questions answered except through my relationship with Christ. I grew up with a single mom and an alcoholic dad. My parents divorced when I was young. And I would see my dad only occasionally, and I wondered many times, Dad, do you love me? My mom wasn't always emotionally available and often left me and my siblings alone while she went out at night. I would lay awake many nights praying that she would come home safely and I wondered, Mom, will you be there for me? Society tells us that when you grew up with an absent dad and a mom who needed more support than you do, that you're supposed to feel unloved and vulnerable to excessive partying, drinking, and sex. But I decided that my relationship with Christ is enough. He is enough for me. I grew up without a curfew or a structure that I desperately wanted, and I wondered, where are the boundaries? I can't pretend that I have everything figured out, and sometimes I feel so lost and abandoned that what I feel like doing is being completely reckless to tell you the truth. But I've decided that I don't need to turn to partying or sex to fulfill these things, these feelings. I need to turn to Jesus. It seems so simple to say that, but I know that someday I'm going to look God in the face and I'll be able to tell him that I didn't need anybody else or anything else. I just needed him. So how can I win the big battles in life? She writes, Jesus Christ alone. Because nothing else and nobody else will be that constant force that I can depend on. I love my family regardless of their mistakes. And I'm so excited for this series because I know so many people are in the same situation as me. What a courageous girl. Parents, if you've blown it, God can still reach your kids. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes as parents. And God can still work. And he can still reach down into your family. And if you're a parent here today and you've kind of dropped the ball, what if you said to your son or daughter, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I love you. It doesn't matter if your son or daughter is 13, 
23 or 35. They need their mom and dad to say, I love you. If you're a young person here today and your parents were kind of a train wreck, you don't have to self-destruct. You can carve out a good life, a better life with Jesus Christ in your heart and at your side. And I want to leave you with one final verse. The verse is this. You can make it. Parents, kids, you can do all things. You can get through this. Through Christ, who gives you the strength. And I pray that you will. Next week, rumor has it, a lot of people in our culture have issues about the church. You know, they like Jesus, but they don't like church. So we're going to talk about that, invite you back. It's going to be a great series. At all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way today. And you know what? Just thanks for coming to church. Now look at this place is filled um, on a beautiful day. I, I feel like we ought to give you a gift as you leave today. But we're not because we don't have one. But maybe our service was gift enough for you. I don't know. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace and tenderness, and patience for us. God, I pray for every parent standing here that you'll give us courage and wisdom, help us readjust our manic schedule if we need to do that to make sure we're raising our kids. Forgive us when we fail. God, I pray for every young person here today that you'll put your hand on them right now as we stand here before you. That you'll give every young, tender heart courage and wisdom. God, protect our kids. Help them to have a life that goes well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.